Do you ever feel like that living faithfully, living faithfully as a committed Christian is hard work? Do you ever feel that way? Now, there are many reasons for this. Um, I think the one major reason, one common reason that makes faithful life as a Christian disciple is so hard is that there is a gap between what God says we are and our experience of the reality. There is this gap. On the one hand, there is what Scripture tells us what we are by God's grace. But on the other hand, is where the rubber meets the road. Our experience does not measure up to that. You see, God says we are saints. But don't you feel like miserable sinners? God says there is no condemnation. Oh, but we feel guilty. God says there is a peace that surpasses all understanding. But we worry. We are anxious. We are afraid. And realizing that there is this gap between, on the one hand, what God says we are, and on the other hand, our experience, you can do one of two things. You can say that your experience disproves God's word, that your experiences prove God's word as false. Or you can say, or you can realize that our experiences have not caught up to God's word. And in fact, that is the case. Our experiences have not yet caught up to God's word. But here we see that God gives us the resources to close that gap, to close that gap between what God says we are and our experience of the reality. And the resources are Jesus' death and resurrection. Jesus' death and resurrection. And so first of all, this morning, I want to tell you uh, the logic of the gospel, the gospel logic that Paul tells us here. Now, notice in chapter 6, verse 1, Paul is facing an accusation uh, because Paul was accused of promoting sin. Because, you see, his critics heard his gospel message in which Paul proclaimed forgiveness of sins, not to those who have lived a good life, not to those who have earned God's favor, but Paul proclaimed forgiveness of sins through faith in Jesus Christ to people who do not at all deserve forgiveness because forgiveness and grace are God's free gift. And Paul has proclaimed the gospel message that though our sin be very great, Jesus is a greater redeemer. And some people who heard that message responded to it in the worst way possible. They began to accuse Paul, saying, what? And that's what Paul is responding to. This is what his critics are saying. Are we to continue in sin that grace may abound? Because his critics were saying, if Paul, if you're right about the gospel, that God forgives sinners who do not deserve his grace and favor, 
And if God justifies sinners when they have done nothing to deserve forgiveness, well, then sin magnifies God's grace. And if that's the case, why not sin more? So that grace can shine more. And I think you and I all know how to answer that objection. And Paul would tell us in so many words, in different ways, that you and I, we cannot live for the thing that killed our Savior. If Jesus died because of our sins, how can we live for the thing that caused his death? And Paul will tell us that that you cannot build up what Christ died to destroy. That is the logic of the gospel. But notice that the gospel logic is not done because Paul's argument does not end with, since Jesus died because of sin, you cannot live for sin. That is true, absolutely true. But the gospel logic does not end there. Look what it says in verse 2. Paul says, how can we who died to sin still live in it? So Paul's argument is not just that Christ died to sin, but how can we who died to sin still live in it? Now, what in the world does Paul mean by that? Well, what Paul teaches us and what the rest of the uh, Scripture teaches us, and this is so important for us to grasp, is that a Christian is so spiritually united to Jesus that whatever Jesus did... He did for us. And because a Christian is so spiritually united to Jesus, whatever Jesus did, we also did in Him. You might remember Galatians 2.20, I have been crucified with Jesus and I no longer live. Do you remember that? And here, Paul tells us in verses 3 to 4, Do you not know that all of us who have been baptized into Christ Jesus were baptized into his death? We were buried, therefore, with him by baptism into death in order that just as Christ was raised from the dead by the glory of the Father, we too might walk in newness of life. So notice what Paul is saying. In Jesus' death, we died. In Jesus' resurrection, we were raised. So what Paul is communicating to us, what is so important is that we, the believers, we are so united to Jesus that we are in Jesus and Jesus is in us. And in fact, the, the common expression in the New Testament for people becoming Christians is that they have believed not just in Jesus, but they have believed themselves into Jesus. He is in us and we are in him so that everything that Jesus did, we did in him. In Jesus' death, we died. In Jesus' resurrection, we were raised. And so our union with Christ, it is the most important thing that you and I need to understand about our faith. 
because it is in this union with Jesus. All of Jesus' achievements are credited to us. And everything that happened to Jesus happens to us. That is why in verse 5, Paul tells us, For if we have been united with him in a death like his, we shall certainly be united with him in a resurrection like his. So again, if you, if you remember just one thing from this sermon, just remember this. <laughs> whatever Jesus did, he did for us. And whatever Jesus did, we also do in him. That is the logic of the gospel. And then that brings us to our second point this morning, that we are crucified with Jesus. We are crucified with Jesus. Now in verses 6 through 7, Paul tells us three particulars about our union with Christ. First, he says, we know that our old self was crucified with him. Now, whatever in the world does Paul mean by our old self? Well, the answer is actually found in chapters 1 through 5, especially in verse 5. What Paul means by our, by our old self is everything that we were, all that we were in Adam. Remember in chapter 5, Paul divides mankind under two covenant heads. In Adam, all have sinned, and in Adam, all die. But in Christ, there is justification. Through one man's sin, through one man Adam's sin, all die. But through one man's act of righteousness, through Jesus, all live. And that's what Paul means by our old self. Everything that we were in Adam, we were guilty, we were alienated from God, and we were condemned. But when by our faith we are united to Jesus, when with our faith we have believed ourselves into Jesus, we died with Jesus, we were crucified with Jesus, and whatever we were in Adam no longer applies to us. That is to say, we are no longer alienated from God. We are no longer guilty, and we are no longer condemned. And this is really hard to imagine because we, in our daily lives, still struggle with sin. And so this sounds so foreign to us. But notice what Paul says. But we know that our old self was crucified with him. How does he know? How does he expect us to know this? Well, we know that our old self was crucified with him because God tells us that's what Jesus did. You see, our experiences have not caught up to what God tells us. He tells us that we are forgiven and justified. We don't feel forgiven and just righteous. He tells us that we are in his grace. We don't feel like that. He tells us that we have a glorious future. All we can think about is the next challenge before us. Our experiences have not caught up to what God tells us Jesus has done for us and what we are in him. And that is why 
That is why it is really dangerous to interpret our Christian life according to our experiences. You know, that's what we do, I think. You have a good day and you feel like God loves you. You have a bad day and you feel like God has abandoned you. Don't you? You have a good day, you feel like you can do everything and anything in God, who's, in, in Christ who strengthens you. You have a lousy day and you, you, you want to say, my God, why have you forsaken me? That is why it is so dangerous to interpret or understand our Christian life according to our experiences. Instead, we have to trust what God tells us we are, and we have to trust what God tells us that Jesus did. Our old self was crucified with him. That is, whatever we were in Adam, we are that no longer. And Paul tells us that we were crucified with him in order that the body of sin might be brought to nothing. Now, the Greek word here that's translated here as brought to nothing, it's actually a word that's used in Hebrews chapter 2, verse 14. That's where we read, Christ died to destroy. It's that same word. Christ died to destroy the one who has the power of death the devil. And so when we look at Hebrews 2.14 carefully and, tr- and understand what uh, the author means when he says, Christ died to destroy the one who has the power of death, the devil, then we can better understand what Paul means here, that in order that the body of sin might be brought to nothing. Now in, in Hebrews chapter uh, 2, when the author tells us that Christ died to destroy the devil, it's very clear that Christ did not eliminate the devil because you see, the devil still exists. So that's not what the author of Hebrew means when he says that Christ died to destroy the one who has the power of death, the devil. But rather, what the author of Hebrews means is that Christ deprived a devil of the power of death so that the devil can no longer use death as a threat and a weapon against us. And how does Jesus do that? You know, the devil has wielded unchallenged power and authority to threaten us with death to make us do its bidding. But then Jesus died and he rose from the dead. And when he rose from the dead, what he did was to to transform what death means for us. Because in Jesus' resurrection, death for us is no longer a dreadful future. But in Jesus' resurrection, our death has, has been transformed into the entrance, the gateway that brings us into God's glory. That is why when we were crucified with Jesus and we rose with him, sin lost its power and authority to enslave us. And that brings us to the third thing. 
Jesus broke sin's dominion so that we would no longer be enslaved to sin. Can I put it this way? In Adam, we all suffer from Stockholm Syndrome. And do you know what Stockholm Syndrome is? I think it was back in 1973. A bank robber in Stockholm, Sweden, took four people as hostages during a failed attempt to rob a bank. And that bank robber with an accomplice held four people as hostages for six days in a bank vault. Now, that was a shocking crime, but what's more shocking was still yet to come. Because when that ordeal was over, something truly baffling and strange happened. That all these four hostages refused to testify against their captors. In fact, all these four hostages, in fact, raised funds to defend their captors. And so this baffling reality event was a coin, Stockholm Syndrome, where hostages attach, develop a deep attachment to their captors. They identify with them, they empathize with them, and they take on their cause as their own. And normal people like you and I, when we listen to that, we scratch our head and say, what is wrong with them? You know, they lost their marbles. There's some screw loose in their head, and we, we want to laugh. We want to ridicule them. But let me put it this way. That's exactly our relationship to sin. You see, sin is our captor, and we are its hostages. But we, we defend sin. We take up its cause, and we do its bidding as if life depends on it. But it is Jesus' death that unmasks sin and shows us how truly horrible and ugly it is. And that's why Paul says in verse 7, For one who has died has been set free from sin. Set free from sin. Now that expression, set free from sin, literally is an expression that is translated in other parts of Romans and throughout the New Testament as has been justified from sin. It's the same word as justification. And what Paul is doing is he's drawing out the implications of God declaring us not guilty, innocent and righteous in Christ. Because in that declaration, Jesus opens our sin-blinded eyes and he frees us from sin's dominion. Now, it's important to understand what sin's, freedom from sin's dominion means and it does not mean. Freedom from sin's dominion does not mean that we have mastery over sin that remains in our lives. Now, by God's grace, by degrees, we will grow and one day, every trace of sin will be eliminated from our lives. But since dominion, freedom from sin's dominion is not so much here in this world, not so much mastery that we have over sin, but freedom from sin's dominion in our pilgrim life means hating and waging war against sin because we no longer empathize with the cause of sin. We are no longer attached 
to our captors. We no longer adore and admire the thing that is destroying us, that thing that has crucified Jesus, that thing for which Christ suffered and died to destroy. So that's what it means to be crucified with Jesus. Sin's dominion is broken. We have freedom from sin's dominion so that we are enabled to hate sin. We are enabled to struggle and wage war against sin. And that brings us to the third point in that we are raised with Jesus. We are raised with Jesus. Verse 8, it says, Now if we have died with Christ, we believe that we will also live with him. We were crucified with Christ. We also live with Christ. And that's really important because we can so focus on our hard struggle against sin that we forget all about the joy of the new life. Look at verse 9. Paul says, We know that Christ being raised from the dead, will never die again. Death no longer has dominion over him. Now once again, what Christ did, I did. What happened to Christ will happen to me. Jesus died and he rose, and you and I will also rise from the dead. But there's something more that Paul is getting at here. What he's getting at is this fact that we struggle in this life. But death and everything that death implies, God's wrath, judgment, rejection, those things will never be true anymore. Because Jesus rose and sin no longer has claim upon him. And because sin no longer has any claims upon Jesus, sin no longer has any claim upon us. Death can no longer bring Jesus down, and death can no longer bring us down. Why? Because everything that happened to Jesus happens to us. Everything that Jesus did, we did. It's because we are in Jesus. And so verse 10, Paul says, For the death he died, he died to sin once for all. But the life he lives, he lives to God. Now, Jesus' life has two distinct stages. Uh, Before the cross, his life has the focus of battle against sin. And after his resurrection, his life has the focus of joy. The difference is that of a soldier training for war on the one hand and the soldier who returns after victory. And Jesus has defended God's honor. He has defended God's kingdom. And now God rejoices over Jesus. And so in verse 11, so you also must consider yourselves dead to sin and alive to God in Christ Jesus. Now what's fascinating is that this word consider, it's the very first command 
in the book of Romans. The very first command in the book of Romans is not do this or do that, but the very first command in the book of Romans is to consider, to think. Why? Because dying and rising are the things that are done for you and it is done to you. And your first calling and your first task is to consider and think and believe what you are in Jesus Christ. We died with Jesus. We were raised with Jesus. And these are the resources that our Father gives us that we may close the gap between revelation on the one hand and our experience on the other hand. God says we are saints. We feel like miserable sinners. How do we close that gap? Consider, consider that you died with Christ and you rose with Christ. And just as God raised Jesus for glory and for joy, and so God has raised you already in Christ for glory and joy. You remember what we read in Ephesians earlier? Right now, this morning, you are not just sitting on hard pews in this church. You are seated in the heavenlies with Christ. Because you have already been raised. Being dead to sin and alive to God in Christ Jesus means we have hope. Now, speaking of a gap, you know, there is a wide gap between the English word hope and the English word hope implies uncertainty. You know, we say, for example, I hope I get that job. You know, you see flashing lights behind you when you're driving and you think, I hope he's not after me. There's uncertainty when we use the word hope in our everyday language. But that is not a hope in Christ. Because hope in the Bible, hope in Christ, is something that is assured and guaranteed Something sort of so definitive and, de- and definite as to change our present life. And it is this. Knowing that living as a committed Christian is hard work. We are daily reminded, aren't we? That, I don't know about you, without giving away my exact age, I've been a Christian for almost 40 years. Um, I wasn't born into a Christian home. And I remember the years, my early years, when I was not a believer. But I've been a Christian for almost 40 years. But I can tell you this too, that I am not yet a Christian that I want to be. I feel in my heart and in my life that gap. And I think that's something that perhaps you can relate to. We are not yet the kind of Christians that we ought to be, should be. But... There is joy and there is hope because you are in Jesus and he is in you. You and I may often forget this, but God never forgets. God rejoices over Jesus and God rejoices over you. God has raised Jesus for praise and glory 
And God has raised you also for praise and glory. You know what God would say to you this morning if you could hear him say to you in a human voice, in an audible voice? He would say to you, you are my beloved. With you, I am well pleased. How do we know that? Well, because that's what God said to Jesus. With you, I am well pleased. And remember, you and I, we are so united to Jesus. Everything that happened to Jesus happens to us. Everything he did, we do. Everything that is his is ours. And so hear this. I know you can hardly believe it because I know you have struggled this week. You have come into this room feeling lousy and down, broken. But this is what your father says to you this morning. You are my beloved. And with you, I am well pleased. Jesus lives. And so praise and thanks to him forever. Amen. Now let's pray together. Lord, we thank you for the good news that you have declared to us this morning. And how quickly and how easily we forget all that you have accomplished for us in Jesus Christ. And because of that, we are often in sorrow, broken, ashamed. But Lord, we pray that that wondrous, that endless grace that you have lavished upon us through Jesus Christ would at last grip our hearts and make us new and help us to realize and remember and rejoice that we are your beloved sons and daughters and that you are well pleased with us. And in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.